This is Nachyomi. We continue our study of Sefer Shmuel Aleph. We're going to be learning Shmuel Aleph, Perak Yud Bet, Chapter 12. This series has been generously sponsored by Mr. Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati, Zichona Devacha, as well as by Charlotte Cheverdi for the continued Hatzlacha and growth of Yeshiva Te'av Haskel. We thank our sponsors and invite anyone who would like to sponsor future Shiurim to do so as well. Shemuel said to all of Israel, I've heard your voice and I've uh, listened to you, everything that you've told me, and I have chosen for you, I have coronated above you a king. Now the king is walking before you. I've gotten older. And my sons are with you. I walked before you from my youth until now. Because Shmuel, of course, was serving the community his entire life, ever since he was given up for adoption, so to speak, or for training by his mother as a little child. Uh, he has been a servant of the community. And so he's speaking of, of course, we know the coronation of Shaul, who was uh, the king that was selected to fulfill the wish and the prayer of the people who wanted a king and who led them successfully through their first battle in chapter Yud Aleph. Now answer against me or testify against me before Hashem and before his anointed king. Whose ox did I take? Whose donkey did I take? And whom did I oppress or uh, or persecute uh, or take anything from them? Uh, was there anybody that I uh, that I uh, took a bribe from? That I would take a bribe and, and ignore something in my judgment of them. And I'll return anything that I took unjustly from you. And they said, You did not take advantage of us or in any way oppress us. May Hashem be a witness for you, and may His anointed one be a witness today, that you did not find in my hands anything. And they said, witness. So the idea is that Shemuel just wants to make clear that he is not being, that the, the, the choice to appoint a king over Am Yisrael was not as a result of anything corrupt that Shmuel did. It wasn't as a result of Shmuel taking advantage of his position in any way for material gain. And the irony, of course, is that a king not only, uh, not only has the power to take advantage of his position and utilize his position for material gain, which he can justify in the name of bolstering, strengthening, and expanding his kingdom. But he will do it. We know for a fact that he will tax the people and he will press them into his service. And he will need (coughs) their financial support and the support of their service in order to enable him to rule. So therefore... There's an irony here that they're rejecting a leader who was basically serving them free of charge, who was serving them without any uh, expectation for material gain, honor, or personal advancement, and taking a king who, by the very nature of his position, is going to have to seek personal advantage and is going to have to seek uh, their material resources in order to fund his kingdom. And this language of Shmuel here is no doubt uh, meant to echo the language that we find in Parashat Koach when Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, who is being challenged by Koach, uh, says a similar, uh, makes a similar statement before Hashem that uh, who's, uh, 
Whose animal have I taken? What have I ever taken from them? What have I ever done to try to benefit materially from these people that I've been leading? And the, the interesting contrast is that Korach was the one who was claiming basically that Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, trying to, uh, was trying to establish himself as a king and was placing himself, was grabbing for himself too much power. And, uh, and Korach was opposing that and sort of championing a more seemingly democratic approach to the leadership of Am Yisrael, even though underneath that was perhaps a different agenda. But uh, that's, what his, that's what his stated platform was against Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu was pointing to, was identifying, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the fact and, and highlighting the fact that he had never in any way uh, gained personally from his position. So the idea that he was somehow had a vested interest in being the leader was absurd. And here we have a flipping of the, uh, of the circumstances because Shmuel himself is actually a descendant of Koach and Shmuel is the one who's saying, I've never taken advantage of my position, like Moshe Rabbeinu said before him. And the people are actually choosing a king. So whereas Korach was, uh, was uh, accusing Moshe Rabbeinu of trying to ascend to some kind of a monarchy and establish himself as a king and claim kingship for himself, and, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, what do you mean? I haven't sought any personal gain whatsoever. How could you possibly claim that? Here we have the people actually selecting a, so, so to speak, secular leader, political leader in place of the Navi. And it's the Navi who's saying, the Navi who actually is a descendant of Korach who's saying, what have I ever done uh, to try to advance myself or enrich myself through my position? Everybody knows that he never has done any such thing. And so uh, rather than it be a chilul Hashem where people will say, well, you know why they deposed Shmuel and took Shul? Because Shmuel really claimed to be a religious leader, but actually he was enriching himself on the side. He was filling his pockets uh, he was taking money under the table. He wanted it to be clear that that wasn't the case, that this was a choice that came from the Jewish people's interest in having a, st- a, stable, uh, a, a stable kind of a government that would give them a sense of security, but not because of any flaw in Shmuel. But there's a, it's very interesting that in the case of Korach, the, that Moshe Rabbeinu was being accused of being a king, and that was considered bad. Here, the Jewish people want the king, and Shmuel is the one saying the line of Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, to uh, to to uh, rid himself of any suspicion that uh, that he was being rejected uh, because of ethical lapses on his part or anything like that. It's a very interesting phenomenon that happens here that the descendant of Korach is saying what Moshe Rabbeinu said to uh, you know in the presence of Korach way back when. But in any case. Um, Hashem who created Moshe and Aaron, so literally is what it means. In other words, he, he uh, made them into, or he de- designated them as his servants and his messengers, and he brought uh, your forefathers from Eretz Mitzrayim. Now stand. And I will judge with you before Hashem. I want to recount all of the goodnesses that Hashem has done with you and your forefathers. From the time that Yaakov came to Mitzrayim. And of course the, the children and grandchildren of uh, Yaakov Avinu became slaves in Egypt. And so they called out to Hashem. And he took the Jewish people out of Egypt and settled them in this land of Israel. 
And they forgot Hashem, their God. Throughout history, they constantly would forget Hashem. And this is the whole story of Sefer Shoftim, basically, that they would continually forget Hashem and be attracted to the idolatry, find themselves in trouble. And then when they found themselves in trouble and be, being oppressed and persecuted by Yisakuel Hashem, by then they would call out to God and say, We sinned. Because we abandoned God, and instead we decided to serve the Baalim and Ashtarot, the different idolatrous gods. And now save us from our enemies and we will serve you. And Hashem sent a whole series of leaders, and we know this is the entire pattern of Sefer Shoftim, the entire theme of Sefer Shoftim, is how uh, the Jewish people, the cycle of Sefer Shoftim, as it's called, that the Jewish people would fall into idolatry and assimilation. They would experience persecution and oppression. They would call out to God. God would send them a leader who could uh, extract them from that persecution by returning them to the service of Hashem. And and then they would, tra- they would be able to vanquish their enemies and they would live securely. And this time you saw that Nachash, the king of Ammon, was coming against you. And you said to me, no. In every other case, what did you do when you were persecuted? You called out to God, you strengthened your relationship with God, and you saw the fact that there was persecution and oppression as a signal that you needed to strengthen your relationship with God. But this time you said, no, we want a king, a human king. But throughout all this, Hashem, your God has been your king. He's always been the one to save you. Through sending you a spiritual leader, also a political leader, also a community leader, but essentially a spiritual leader who, first and foremost, would guide the Jewish people back to service of God, and only after that, and as an extension of that, to political independence. And behold, here is the king that you chose and you requested, and Hashem has placed upon you a king. If you fear God, and you serve Him, and you listen to His voice, and you don't rebel against the word of Hashem, then you, and also the king that rules over you, if you're all following after Hashem, your God, but if you don't listen to the voice of God and you rebel against Hashem, then Hashem is going to be against you and your forefathers. In other words, all, gener- all generations <coughs> will be uh, held responsible. So the idea is that the... Um, that uh, uh, and, and the question is, what does it mean, Bavotechem, since they, you know, the, the forefathers had, had already uh, uh, passed away, but it means like he was again, in the past against your forefathers, he's going to be against you now. The idea is that if the Jewish people, follow, the, 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 the calculus hasn't changed, the formula hasn't changed. So even though now you have a king because you were tired of the cycle of being dependent upon uh, the, the, your, your relationship with God to ensure your political security and safety and stability. And therefore, you, were t- you wanted to have a structure, a monarchy to give you that sense of security and to be reassuring to you. That's what you wanted. Uh, but you should realize that underlying that is still HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because if you don't follow the ways of Hashem, then your king is not going to be able to save you. And if you do, then the king might, innate, might help you, but he's not going to be able to help you against Hashem. And vigam ata itetzvu now also stand up and and look at the davar gadol as this great thing asher Hashem osel enechem that Hashem is going to do before your eyes. Hello, kitzur chitim ayom. Today is the wheat harvest, which is the summertime, 
going to call out to God, but he didn't call going to bring thunder and rain. You're going to see that your evil is very great that you did in the eyes of Hashem. To ask for a king. In other words, he wants to emphasize. This is the summertime where it doesn't rain in Israel. And definitely during the wheat harvest, you don't want rain because that will cause the crops to rot. And Hashem brought thunder and rain on the day. And the nation really feared Hashem and Shmuel. And all the people said to Shmuel, Pray for your servants, so that we don't die. Because we added unto all of our sins evil to ask for a king. Shmuel said to the people, don't be afraid. You did all of this evil. Just don't depart from, before, from behind Hashem, meaning from following Hashem. And you should serve Hashem with all your hearts. And don't depart from it. Because if you follow after other things, other gods, idolatry, you're following after nothingness that can't save you. Because in the end, Hashem will not abandon His people because of His great name, because the purpose of the Jewish people is to sanctify God's name in the world and He's not going to give up on that project. Because Hashem desired from the beginning and began the process of making you His people. He's not going to change that. And also I, I would never sin against Hashem, and not to pray for you. I will continue to teach you, as until now, the proper and the good path in life. And serve Him with, in truth with all your heart. Because you see at the what greatness he has done with you, what great things he has done with you. And you can't forget that. You have to remember that ultimately your obligation, your responsibility, everything depends upon your service of Hashem. And if you are wicked, you and your king will be destroyed. The idea here is very interesting. So of course the question is, what is the point of this demonstration with the rain? I mean, if Hashem is telling him that they shouldn't have a king, so why doesn't he just tell them no? And if he's telling them that they should have a king, he's accepting it, so why then bring rain to uh, damage the crops, to send to scare them and show them that uh, Hashem is really in charge? Just tell them they can't have a king then. Why go to such trouble to get, bring about this uh, institution of the monarchy only to then show his disfavor and basically make him feel guilty? And then the people say, oh yeah, we sinned asking for a king, but they don't say therefore will reject the king and will abandon the king. They don't say that. So what's going on here? So it seems what Shmuel is trying to say is, look, if the king is a means to serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu because he works functionally and practically to strengthen the Jewish people, to unify them, to keep them focused, and that allows them to serve Hashem more effectively and efficiently, and he works in tandem with the teachers of Torah, such as Shmuel, like he has been up till now, Shaul has been up till now, so then there'll be success, because ultimately, no matter what you do, you're going to be dependent on Hashem, and he showed them with the example of the rain, because the rain... As the Torah always talks about the rain, even in the Kriyat Shema, when we talk about Hashem's punishment or Hashem's holding us responsible for actions, always the idea of rain is mentioned, the withholding of rain or the granting of rain. That is the basis of everything because with rain you have agriculture, with rain you have food, with rain you have a functional economy. Without that, no matter what king, no matter what politician, no matter what government, you're not going to be able to succeed because as the book of Kohelet says, even the king is enslaved, so to speak, to the field. In other words, if there's no food and there's no money, there's no resources, then the king is also impotent, incapable of really providing any uh, anything 
any benefit to his people. So the idea is that Hashem, through the rain demonstration here, is showing that ultimately everything is in his hands. Ultimately, their success, their failure, their survival, their ability to thrive, their ability to grow, it's all going to be dependent upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the, the extent to which they serve him. And the king can go either way. If the king, And that's why he mentions, you and your king could be destroyed or you and your king could follow Hashem and be successful. And Shmuel will still be there to teach and to guide. And he prays for them. In other words, he's showing that the same thing that was happening in the cycle of Sefer Shmuel which is that your success is going to be measured by the barometer of your avodat Hashem, the extent to which you're fulfilling your mandate as the Jewish people, as the nation of God that's supposed to sanctify God's name, to the extent that you're doing that and you're staying away from the idolatry and you're remaining on the path of Hashem, you will succeed because you'll have the rain and you'll have everything that you need and then your king will just strengthen you in the proper path. But if you think that there's going to be another path, that you're going to be able to disconnect from that path of serving Hashem, that the king is going to offer you an alternative where he's going to be, he's going to, he's going to detach from the idea of Avodat Hashem. He's going to detach from the idea that his purpose is to really be ultimately a facilitator of your service of God. And he's going to go off on his, have his own vision of what is good and what is right. And he's going to be attracted to or influenced by other uh, ideas, other ideologies, other agendas. So then what's going to happen is just like in the past when you didn't have a king, um, your departure from the path of God led to destruction, led to oppression, led to persecution, led to failure. The same thing is going to happen here too with a king. Because all the king is, is a tool, an instrument who can either enable you to serve God and achieve your purpose more effectively or can actually be utilized to take you away from God even more rapidly and effectively and efficiently than you would have in the past. And so that's the danger of the king. If the king functions in tandem with the purpose of, uh, uh, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and with the wisdom of the Nevi'im and, and is therefore an asset to the people, so then there's nothing, that, then things may be just, just uh, all well and good. It's when the king disconnects from that purpose that it becomes a disaster. And to remind them of that, Shmuel brings the rain to show that, remember, ultimately your fate is in the hands of God and he is the one who's going to decide whether you rise or you fall, whether you succeed or you fail. So Bezrat Hashem, we're going to see how this plays out in the case of Shaul, to what extent he remains a true king of Israel, who is a facilitator of Avodat Hashem, and to what extent... He falls prey to the dangers of the kingdom, the dangers of kingship and monarchy, which is separating his agenda and his vision from that of Hashem.